Hello, everyone. Welcome back to our bonus show. This is the month of May. Uh, some of you may hear this in early June, I guess. I don't know how that works, actually. I should figure that out. But as we promised, those who support us at the right levels are getting a bonus 30-minute episode from your favorite TWBD castmates. Uh, myself, we have John here, we have Bo, we have Kristen, and we have Kyle. And uh, we're stoked to be here. Uh, we should probably just jump right in. Kristen always has uh, questions that she's been gathering throughout the month, and there's a ton of them. So let's just dive in and go for it. What do you got? All right. First one is for Bo. This one was someone who's really wanted to ask this question for a long time. When Stanley and Nash were in the research lab with Chance and Eddie and they were escaping, there was a staff. I have always wondered what was that staff. It was clearly for Nash. Stanley got diplomacy, and I have always wondered what was the staff and what did it do? Uh, good question. It was a staff that I pulled from one of the manuals. It was a magical staff intended for, I mean, all the items in that particular two episodes were intended. I don't remember the exact staff, um, but I believe because of the tree that was down below there, it was something of like a, almost a druidic or tree nature. I just don't remember the exact name of the staff, unfortunately. Mm. Um, it didn't have any other narrative implications. It was just a cool magic item. I uh, decided to put a couple in there because of Eddie. That's uh, Carter, who was playing a thief, mm -hmm. who's communicated to me before we had started the show. Her sole intent was to make sure she stole as much as possible from her dad. Oh, great. Um, <laughs> so I, I decided to put things in there to help facilitate that, uh, that transaction. As it turns out, uh, Ben also sort of had a proclivity for wanting the magic items. It's kind of hard to tell guests who come in like, hey, can you leave the cool stuff for the main heroes of the show right like i didn't really want to ever say that so like the guest players are like i want that cool stuff and so i think chance also wanted things do you know what i and missed out on in terms of power or anything like what what did what was i to gain from that stuff um well that's just what exactly i don't remember i'm actually in the process of looking up so why don't you let me look it up and we can move on to the next okay, sure. my my favorite thing about that is that uh, if, with that being her goal, is that I totally stole the immovable rod from Eddie. Right. She wanted the immovable rod, too. If, she, if Eddie had it her way, no one was... <laughs> Oh, my God. You're on the roll. I know. Uh, There's another one for you. <laughs> uh, Jacked is a movable rod. Well done. Well but done. if Eddie had her way, she would have taken everything from you, including stuff you had already had that weren't in the dungeon. So um, that's how it worked out. We did indeed. Tricky, tricky. Yeah. John, this one's for you. Stanley has probably changed the most since Dust Hill, what with having a malevolent entity taking control of his body and killing people. How have his goals changed since he first set out on his journey? And did the principal's words about bringing some semblance of order to the world resonate with Stanley's original mission of restoring civility to the wastes? Uh, they definitely did. I think that Stanley is very much, uh, he's kind of going through a crisis of faith somewhat uh, because he did start this journey thinking, you know what we need is we need society and we need rules and we need structure and all of that. And then he kind of got out there uh, away from the, the desolate parts of the waste and found it and found that it actually existed and it was awful. And he was like, oh, wait a minute. Maybe this isn't what I want at all. Maybe maybe this thing that I thought was good might actually be a thing that's bad. And so I think over the course of our journey has been a lot of him coming to terms with the thing that he thought the world needed isn't what the world needs. And what do you fill that gap with? And so I think he sees the principal as somebody who attained what he wanted 
And so I, I think the principle is intriguing, but I think the principle probably also serves as a cautionary tale to his own wants originally. Yeah. Awesome. I also wondered, I mean, well, like, hmm. Now he's not in you, okay? Got no more Diantalus in you. Right. Best we know. Um, are you going to be like post Picard, you know, post Borg Picard, or like, you know, where there's just a little bit of you's broken and always will be? Um, once in a while, I have a weird dream, look in the mirror and go, ah, the Borg, uh, like that sort of thing. Will you, or do you, do you feel like you're, you're free of any sort of magical PS, PS, PTSD? No, I think Stanley, uh, carries, always has carried a lot of guilt with him. I think he's probably the character that feels, uh, at least that I know of the most guilt for his general actions that he has taken in life. I mean, even this thing with, uh, with Orp now. You know, Stanley's the person who said don't kill him to the town uh, and pushed for that. And then he kind of pieced out while you all figured out what to do with him. So it's, you know, even this where he's somewhat detached from what's going on is sitting there thinking, OK, everybody Orp has ever killed is on me. Mm -hmm. Like he he carries a lot of that with him. And I think he probably also, uh, you know, he understands Diantalus did what Diantalus did. But I think he feels the guilt still. Yeah, because he's the body no matter what. Yeah. Mm. He's got, got perfect memory of doing it. Right, so. Right. Oh, good point. And Scott, we have a question for you about Nash Maggard of the Solar Mines. Will he now become Nash Maggard of Tiet Kala now that this is his <sighs> new home? Um, I mean, I guess he is by default. He's Nash Maggard of wherever he is, but um, the Solar Mines is part of his moniker or his introduction is always about um, if, if not so much for those asking, but for him, it's him, you know, acknowledging where he's been um, and how that informs where he is. So it'll always be important to him that that's, you know, that that's his past, that what he saw and did there, especially in its, um, you know, toward the end when he left was a huge part of what drives him now. And so it's something he'll never uh, forget. It's a little bit like, um, I mean, Game of Thrones is over now and there's a lot of, you know, everyone's talking about it. So it's kind of on my mind, but it's a little like, you know, Daenerys still calling herself 12 different things, mother of dragons, the unburned, all that stuff. And she's talking about things that have happened a long time ago. And, that that'll always stay with me, even though you know heroes of the waste, uh, whatever of Dust Hill, like all these all these other monikers that have come and gone, those are fine and those are great. And in formal settings, we can always use them, but he will always be from the solar mines. Always deep down. Yep. And then Kyle. So this question is why is Kyle so damn good at Pharrell? But the idea of the question is, <laughs> could you explain your RP process? Because. Uh, Neon Gwimblin loves all of the characters, but that was definitely uh, Kyle's RP with Varel is just so intoxicating. Uh, that's awesome. It came from making the very strong choice that he was a foreigner to Dust Hill early on, and then you just keep adding layers and layers and layers to that. It does mean you get kind of bogged down in a lot of situations, or you'll often find that Varel. I remember the episode where I was locked in a bathroom for almost the entire time because I came up with a plan 
that I was going to spring out of the bathroom, and then we got in a car fight instead. Mm -hmm. So (laughs) it does mean that some of your choices will leave you much quieter or not interacting for a long time. And the same thing happened in John's one-off. I'll make the strong choice about someone like Spores, but that comes with the sacrifice of, you know, in order to be that cool guy, you're just not going to get to interact in certain situations, and you won't get to play as much, which is fine, because I play a lot of D&D. So I'll go DM my own game and play more later. Totally. And a question for everybody. I thought this one was pretty cool. How do you approach picking out talents and spells as you level up? It's hard for me because I never played a sorcerer before, nor do I ever get this far in D&D before, like level wise. So it's really hard for me. (laughs) Like I I feel like I'm sometimes picking things because they sound really cool on the surface and I'll even read through it and go, well, it doesn't seem that cool, but it sounds so cool. So I'm taking it anyway. And then I'll end up either not using it or it's it's got really selected, you know, selective use. And it bums me out when I can't use a thing I just got. So it's weird. It's like in a video game, you do the same thing and you can just go, you know, swap it out. But this is different. And so you can't unnecessarily respect unless it's part of the campaign or part of the DM's rules. So I, uh, you know, have, have learned to, as as our campaign has gone along and we've had more and more experiences, I'm like, all right, well, from what I've seen, we could use this. This is the thing that we could use more often and and not just go with the cool one, but sometimes go with the one that seems less cool that is far more useful in a fight or, you know, some other scenario. So that's the way I do it. I would definitely say that given <clears throat> now that we've done like 60 or so of these, our sh- our campaign style is not grind. In fact, I think a lot of shows aren't grind campaign styles just because we would just be sitting around rolling dice and doing battle maps all the time, which is perfectly acceptable. But I found that like we have enough time for like one meaningful combat. Sometimes it takes place over two shows. Mm-hmm. So the opportunity to use combat based abilities are not as frequent, especially for the mages who get tons of awesome options, but have more reason to use utility spells over combat spells simply because we just don't go through that much grind. That much combat, right? It's not, I think it, some people can look at D&D and say uh, an adventuring day would be six or seven encounters before you can long rest again. And the system's kind of designed to work through your resources over six or seven encounters. We're lucky to have two in a single adventuring day most times. So um, that's something I would say now. I would have the knowledge of now that our party is probably better served, of course, taking big damage things for the encounters we do have that are combat spells, but also the utility, like the mold earth has been infinitely used way more than, I don't oh. even know what you picked. I was sure it wasn't going to get used at all. Like it seemed dumb and it's been way more useful than I ever thought it would. I be, actually, so. I saw a YouTube video saying the five most OP spells, the top five thing and mold earth was like two or three on the list. Oh, really? <laughs> because you can shape earth at will because it's a cantrip. And so yeah. you can dig giant holes and make, statues and do a ton of stuff with it for free without expending any resources right it's just not a combat spell but outside of combat you could build a, te- a pyramid yeah <laughs> take a full day mold earth into a giant pyramid and you can just do that like that mold earth is like insane well even in combat there it has its uses so it's like a well so he, it's versatile. so here's a little hint for you too because we didn't end up doing the vehicular combat a few episodes ago right yeah remember you flew turned into a dragon you led them away and came back to tiet and uh, so had you done that encounter and fought like in a car being chased and doing the Mad Maxing, which mm-hmm. was kind of an invitation to do that. I had a map set up for it. 
I was wondering if you were going to realize just how broken the Mold Earth spell has on a Mad Max campaign. Because basically what you could do is in front of any car chasing you as a cantrip, lift a five by five cube of sand or rock in front of any car and have it smash into it. And you can do, you don't run out of spell slots. So if there are 50 cars, I mean, it's once per turn, but you could pretty much eliminate any, most vehicles, most, I'm sure if there was a giant war rig, it might be able to break through it, but you can basically, what do they call those car stop things in cities where those poles come up? Like you do in watchdogs, you can remotely push them up. Oh, um, barriers. Like uh, you can lift those barriers in front of fast moving vehicles, basically, and crash them. Right. Yeah. That's good to know. That's good to know. Awesome. I know for me, when it comes to picking spells and abilities, I try to think of things that um, fit the flavor of wherever Stanley is at any given time. Um, And this also goes to what I change spells to over time. So, you know, during the time where we were chasing Thailander, Stanley was definitely, he was not necessarily as good of a person. And he just saw somebody doing magic he wished he could do. So that led to his curiosity around being able to do Eldritch Blast and things like that. And uh, now, current Stanley uh, has kind of turned away from that. He's had somebody wrestle control from him um, and take that from him. And he's kind of found sort of new inspiration and new motives. And so now, as I'm, because I can only change one spell per level, the flavor of the spells has gone from very mind manipulation and kind of dark and kind of messing with people and it has sort of gone in more of natural storm thunder lightning that sort of direction for him and so that's been kind of a a fun shift but i try to think of what fits uh what stanley would naturally have if i don't see anything like that i think about okay the way i imagine him learning spells is looking at the world and saying can I do this? So we spend a lot of time in the fate for seeking shelter and getting pelted by storms and things like that. So tiny hut made sense to take because it was, can I bend this mana wave energy to create shelter? That's something we need. So over time he learned to do that. So I try to always think of it from that perspective of him thinking, what does the party need or observing you know, other things that are going on. And, you know, so I took Polymorph as my most recent spell, and that definitely came from seeing Nash constantly making Varel big. Mm-hmm. And it came from this place of like, oh, you know, it, it is effective to just transform your allies or enemies into something else. Like, that could be useful. That could be beneficial. I wonder if I could do that. Yeah. That was the same reason. And that's actually what drove me to the enlarge thing, because it wasn't about turning all the enemies small. It was because they can resist it too. It's saying, "All right, usually Varel is the is the target, but it's like, hey, he can, you know, he can make all kinds of mess as a bigger version of himself, and he's always willing. So there's not like I have to roll some special roll to hit it right. And it just seemed like the perfect combo that I would never actually get to use on myself if ever. I don't think I even can. I don't think it's self cast. So I think you can. Can I? I can't remember. Maybe it's just living yeah. creature." Yeah, you can. Um, but I or object, but I, yeah, I mean that was my thinking there too. So I totally, I totally agree with John on that. About you, Varel, yeah, when you you're picking your big brawly skills and stuff, what do you? Where's your head at? There's not a lot of pick when it comes to the martial classes. I picked my path, 
but Totem Barbarian, everywhere you look, is the most popular and the most broken and OP, and eh, eh, I really like the aura and the flames. Now that I'm locked into that, every level I can trade out for other elements, but that only gives temporary health, which Stanley had on lockdown for a while. And I did that lightning thing for a bit, but then we ended up inside the the club, surrounded by people while I couldn't do fire, and I wanted fire really, really badly back. So I went back to fire, and I've stayed there. Mm. It's, it's great. Yeah. I like your fire. Yeah. And I know for uh, Hope, uh, when I rolled her, her her end game is she basically wants to become a god so she can have power to destroy the gods. Damn. I guess that's kind of a source. <laughs> it's not fully fleshed out, but that's the whole idea I'm building Hope around. So uh, even though Kyle's right, martial classes there, I mean, you magic people, you got tables and charts and lists to choose 20 different things at every level. But for a fighter class, you level up and you get more health. Maybe an extra action per turn. So when some choice does come up, usually it goes into some sort of uh, resist or health buff or yeah, th- something like that. Yeah, I think the only big choices for fighters are the extra um, archetypes you might take at various mm-hmm. levels. Uh, and also, if you go Battlemaster, you get a bunch of, you get or you get supremacy dice, I think, or something like that. And you can pick special moves, but that's only the one subclass, so... Yeah, the martial classes mostly don't have choices. Actually, <laughs> most of them don't. Like monk, like all mo. If you're not cast, it, spells are the only really like I've got thirty different things to choose from. Which one should I take? Uh, the rest of the classes, it's very simple. You get this at le- that level, mm-hmm. you're done. Right. Yeah. yeah. So if you want to roll a simple character that doesn't require much planning, definitely go. For- <laughs> a fighter's I mean, pretty. There, there, there's a sense of that too, just because I mean, it's it can be overwhelming to have all that choice at the same time. You can see it as a good thing, but you can also be like, what do I take? And every, you pick something, but you wish you could have everything kind of thing. So, Yeah, maybe a an simple, extra class when you simple, level up. Level 20. Simple can be good. And then this one for Bo, I thought this was a really cool one. When did you know what the principle was going to look, sound, act like? He's super tied into the Jesus Chrome thing that's been around since Slave Town, which I first took as just an off-the-cuff joke. Uh, since episode one. So I've had this character in mind for a year before we ever saw the light of day. And really, I kind of expedited it ahead with the plot when we were doing like a year one to year two transition. I'm like, what if we do this for another year and nobody ever meets the principal? Like, how lame is that? And, you know, it just falls off or, you know, D&D can come in. I'm like, I think we better at least introduce this character and make it a little more substantial. But yeah, uh, there's lots that still hasn't been revealed about the lore behind him he's lived for over a thousand years he's confirmed that he's known life before the scorching uh he you know understands old modern futuristic technology and what all that is and could explain it all um so we'll see we'll see where that goes and see what the true meaning of his nature really is because i think the hint that he's a lich has been dropped by quizquaz but that doesn't even begin to describe really what he is at the same time. Yeah. And John, free of Dientalis, dual romantic interests and the prince man aside, what is Stanley's new drive? Uh, Stanley is looking for redemption, I would say. He's, he's looking to... 
he's looking to atone for a lot of the things that he feels have been mistakes. Uh, he kind of went on this path for selfish reasons, and I think he feels like he's made uh, life in general worse everywhere he's gone. So it's it's very much a he's looking for atonement and feeling a little lost. Um, he probably, if he hadn't made the deal with Katobal Praith, he probably wouldn't be adventuring with anybody anymore. He probably would have left. But I think he has this thing that ties him to the group where it's like, you know, looking at it, I probably don't want to be bound to the weir when it's all said and done. So I guess I better stick around to, to see this through. But uh, yeah, he definitely he definitely feels like he has not done well in this world and is, is trying to make up for it. Follow-up question, is Stanley considered maybe dropping everything and going to Principal City and submitting to the Steel God and the Principal and seeking cleansing at the Court I don't, I don't think so, because I don't think Stanley... I mean, without getting into Stanley backstory, you all are welcome to uh, to explore that, but I'll keep it a secret until it comes up in-game. Stanley, as soon as he knew that the Principal kept indentured servants or slaves um he pretty much looked at him like you're just as bad as everybody else out there you know that was that was it for him um and while he has seen some promise from meeting the principal and like okay maybe it's not as horrible as i thought it was he still sees him as a bad leader and a that is a society that is bad and not going to do anything good for the world um because of that one thing so I think he's definitely curious about it, though, because Stanley is fascinated by knowledge and learning things and all of that. So I think he does want to go to the city, but I don't think he wants to go there to atone for anything. And this one could be Bo, but I'm throwing it to you, Scott. This is kind of an old callback. When do we get to meet John Scottson? Oh, that is a Bo thing. Cause he... <laughs> so didn't you bring something like that up, Bo? And it was like, wait a minute, who the hell's that? Yeah, then... you guys found a pot. So in the lore of this world, a there's things called sand fishing, yeah. which is you can cast your reel into the sand and get sand squids and sand sharks. Because the globe has no bodies of water in it whatsoever, there's a whole, you know, there's no fish, there's no that kind of thing. So I wanted to sort of bring that element into it. And honestly, it started with the dad joke of a podcast being you cast out a pod to fish for things in the sand. I'm like, oh, that'd be funny. And then, haha, like that's a dad joke thing that I found funny. So I'm like, okay, so there's this thing called podcasting and... And then we could we could parody, I could parody everyone. I have characters made for everyone in this uh, land boat, yeah. and that podcast. Everyone would be here podcasting, which means fishing and not doing. In our world, it means doing a radio show. But right. In this world, it means the five of us are out fishing in the desert sands. Wow. But then I felt a little bit like maybe it'd be wouldn't be mean spirited, but it felt a little goofy. And there's just more interesting things to do, so we just let it lie for now but he's they're still out there there's the uh, the sand fishermen out there and they're i still love to have the podcaster pod yeah it's in the back. Yeah, and that lucky podcast as uh, i'm sure john scottson would love to have that return so you never know so at some point we could either accidentally or on purpose run into one of these guys and yes you know. when you're traveling the map and rolling those d12s that could come up <laughs> All right, I like random if encounters. You don't just drive past it. <laughs> yeah, Kristen's the only one who anything. drives. She doesn't stop for him. Yeah, there? I actually have a question about that, Bo. Um, in yeah. our in our waning seconds here, actually, I got about a minute and twelve seconds left. Do you uh, 
do you get irritated when we drive on past encounters that you've thought we were going to stop for and you were sure was going to be enticing and tempting, but instead uh, Hope was just like, nope, we're going, we're good, just keep moving. No, because that kind of stuff, if you don't meet it, I can always find a way to fit it in later if I really want to have it in. Yeah. So it's a, the DM trick is to take the things that your players don't do and then repurpose them later and they're none the wiser for it. So interesting. that's your answer. All right, that's yeah. a pretty good answer. That brings us to the end of this month's bonus show. If you hear this show later and you're like, Wayne, I want to get this early, like the people who are getting it early. Well, those people get it early because they're subscribers to our support system over at therewillbedungeons.com. It's called Pod People, Patrons of Dungeons. Yep, that's right. And it's our own homegrown thing. We don't use Patreon. We don't use anything else. It's none of that stuff. It's our own thing, and it's cool, and it's got lots of stuff, including this early uh post show which people are going to get today who support us and if you don't support us you'll get it later but wouldn't you like to get it sooner i know you would so head on over there and support it now we'd love that uh that's going to do it for us here thank you all for joining us we'll be back next month with another bonus show as well of course as the regular show between now and then uh between then and now everyone have a fantastic time we'll see you then He'd run up behind you with his tech deck in his hand like this, and he'd stab you, and he'd bite, and he'd yell Manuel the Stabber. Really? <laughs> oh, yeah. He would yell Manuel the Stabber. He'd be doing little lollies, you know, on his fingers with his little tech deck. Wow. And then he'd grab it and go, Manuel the Stabber.